I love Christmas music. I, I'm one of those that, that during the year, every so often, I put a Christmas song or maybe just appears on my playlist randomly. But there's a thing with Christmas. And the truth is that Christmas could be complicated. So last week, we began this series that we titled Simple Christmas. And we spoke about relationships, that it is this time of year when relationships and Christmas get a little highlighted. And the things that we let go through the year in December, they appear. So today, we want to move from relationships and we want to go into the next part of the text that was our theme text. So if you open your notes or open your Bible, follow me to Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. And it reads, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So last week, we talked about bearing each other. Bearing each other. So today, we'll move into the next part of the text. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. The reality of life is that we all have complicated experiences with other people. And even though relationships might be complicated, they're even more complex because of the way that experiences in relationships have ended. Parents who wounded us or that we think they wounded us. And resolve conflict, marriage betrayal. Abuse. According to statistics, one in three uh, females have been abused at some point. And men, one in five. That just blew my mind. So unforgiveness towards God. God, why didn't you do that? Or why did you do that? Unforgiveness towards ourselves. I shouldn't have done that. But I should have done that. Forgiveness towards others that we just can't let go. And it takes us years and years and years. But the question that we like to answer today is why? Why do we have to forgive? Why do we have to forgive? I'd like to start sharing with you that, that there's some physiological reasons why we should forgive. According to medical experts, they believe that when we harvest unforgiveness in our heart, we suffer of anger. And anger translates to all of other relationships, even the ones that we haven't been hurt by. So we react with anger. When we don't forgive somebody in our life, as parents, we oftentimes bring that anger towards our children or towards our spouse. The joy that at some point we had in our life departs. So we become sad and bitter individuals. And with that, unforgiveness is so bad, so heavy that we've been carried for a long time. Even ulcers are developed. So Jesus left us some keys on how to deal with unforgiveness. And the first key that I'd like to share with you this morning is that Having forgiveness in your heart 
is not the same as having no boundaries in your life. Having forgiveness in your heart does not mean or is not the same as, as having no boundaries in your life. Jesus had complicated relationships. And one group of individuals that Jesus had complicated relationships with were the Pharisees, the Levites, the scribes, the teachers of the law. See, they, these people were dedicated. They dedicated their lives to teach the Word of God. However, the way they went about teaching the principles of the Bible had nothing to do with the Bible. In fact, they wrote a set of books so that people could learn how to obey the Bible. For every one of the commandments, they wrote 64 other semi-commandments or sub-commandments in order to keep one of the commandments. So instead of making life simple as God intended it to be, they made it a very complicated experience, spiritual experience. So Jesus had some conflict with these individuals because Jesus came to make life simple. Jesus came to, to make it clear, to, to make the, the Bible a simple experience that anybody could live with and buy. So this, these people had issues with Jesus because he was not like they expected the Messiah to be. So Jesus had, in this experience, this mixed experience with the Pharisees, he had some names that he called them by. For example, at one time that Jesus is referring to the Pharisees and he called them blind fools. And another time he called them prophet killers. And some other time he called them a snake and brood of vipers. And if you think that was not bad enough, he called them whitewashed tombs. And in another time he just called them straight out thieves. So as you can see, the Pharisees and Jesus, they didn't have a very simple relationship. In fact, they were always trying to set up traps to catch Jesus in a bad teaching so that they could justify his anger, their anger towards him and kill him. But see, the Bible tells us that when they succeeded with their plans and Jesus was hanging on the cross, the Gospel of Luke tells us in, ch in chapter 23, verse 34, that as Jesus is hanging on the cross, crucified because of the accusations of the Pharisees and their, and their, and their illegal trial of Jesus, two days before, it says that as Jesus said, hanging on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What is Jesus doing? What is Jesus saying? What is Jesus praying for these individuals that he called them all kinds of names as he's hanging on the cross? He's praying to the Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Now, if Jesus was able to pray for those who crucified him, I think that we can forgive those who haven't yet crucified us. And some of you are like, eh, I don't know. See, but the principle is this. That even though Jesus had the, the, the spiritual maturity to forgive them, he kept boundaries with them. Because see, he loved sinners. And he went to the homes of sinners. He ate with sinners, some things that the Pharisees did not do 
or dare to. They, they could not imagine doing. But Jesus went with the sinners. However, he didn't tolerate the practices of the Pharisees. And that is why he called them all kinds of names. Because they earned it. And Jesus tells the truth. Amen? So the next time that you call somebody your truth, your perspective of truth about them, first thing you have to do is forgive them. Now, Jesus demonstrated that in the heart of God, in the heart of God, there is forgiveness towards everyone. Towards how many? Everyone. So the first key that Jesus left us is that we have to learn to forgive everyone, but that does not mean that we don't have to have boundaries. The second key is that forgiveness isn't primarily about you and people. Forgiveness is about you and God. Let me explain. Well, we'll use Paul to explain better than I, than I could. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11 says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rules and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, let's go back on this text because this is loaded with, with, with meaning. And, and let's underline right there when it says schemes of the devil. Last week, we learned that relationships are affected by the attacks that the devil has over people. Because all of us are targets for the devil. And because all of us live within relationships, when the devil attacked us, affects our relationships. Because God is a relational being and he wants us to experience a relationship with him, the devil hates that. So what is the devil going to do? Attack what God loves the most. And that is people. Remember, John 3.16 says, for God so what? Love the world. And that means us. He loves us so much that he sent his son. That's why we have Christmas because God loved, loved us and he sent Jesus. So that experience of love, that relational love that God is exp expressing towards us, the devil hates it. So he attacks us. So we are all under this attack that the devil has. So what happens, family, is that when we think about somebody who's hurting us, we have to remember not only as we learned last week that there's a story behind it, but also that this person is under the attack of the devil. So when that person is under the attack of the devil, we cannot take it against the person. We have to understand that this is one of the schemes of the devil. Notice what it says, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So you see what happens here is that when somebody hurts us, is the devil actually using this experience to hurt us and that person who's hurting us. So our anger, our dissatisfaction with the experience our frustration should not be taken against the individual, should be taken as a spiritual experience of spiritual warfare. This is the devil attacking us and the individual that is hurting us. So we ought to see beyond the individual and see what is really happening. And what is happening is that it's a cosmic conflict. 
In Adventist lingo, we call it the great controversy. And the great controversy is the experience between good and evil. So the second thing that we have to understand is that when, when we forgive, our forgiveness does not depend on the other person. Let me elaborate a little more. Oftentimes we say, okay, uh, I will forgive. I will forgive this individual. I will forgive this person when as soon as they apologize. Have you heard that before? Have you said that? Okay. Don't, don't. But see, that is completely wrong because we're expecting that somebody who's been attacked by the devil defeats the devil on his own. When in reality, we are also part of the attacks of the devil. We can only defeat the devil with the help of God. So the issue is not with the other person. The issue is with God. I forgive because I want, I want the power of God. Because the moment that I don't have forgiveness in my heart, I'm, I'm not letting God be part of my life. Are you with me? So when I expect that somebody asks for forgiveness or, or repents or say, you know what, it was my bad. My forgiveness should not depend on the other person. My forgiveness depends on my relationship with God. Did you, did you read on that prayer that Jesus is praying on the cross? Father, forgive them as soon as they repent. No, right? No, because Jesus is depending on his relationship with the Father. And he knows that in the heart of the Father there's forgiveness. So in order to keep that relationship, he says, Father, forgive them. You see, so that's why Paul is saying here that, that we have to focus on the full armor of God. See, forgiveness is a process between us and God, not between you and others. See, the proof is that some, at times forgiveness has nothing to do with the other person because it just can't. You see, sometimes that person who hurt us doesn't live with us. We don't see them. They live somewhere else. At times, those who've hurt us, they don't even know they hurt us. And, and we're thinking here, oh, look at them. It's like nothing. Well, of course, they don't even know. Even at times, we, we have th this anger towards people who are no longer with us. And we're so angry at them. We haven't forgiven. Well, they're not going to apologize. So you see, this expectancy of the other person, the person who hurt us to, to repent, to ask for forgiveness, it's unreal. Because it's not between us and the individual, it's between us and God. An apology is not a requirement for forgiveness. In fact, let me tell you this. Your level of forgiveness is a spiritual process, it's a spiritual process, the process, I'm sorry, it's a spiritual process that is between you and a perfect God. It's not a physical process with an imperfect human being. Let me say that again. Your level of forgiveness is a spiritual process with a perfect God. Not a human experience with an imperfect human being. So forgiveness is a spiritual act, not a social activity. 
So that means that the more that we forgive, the closer we are to God. In other words, they shouldn't be unforgiving Christians. But as we let that one sink for a little bit, let's move to the next key. And the next key is forgiveness isn't about releasing something. It is about gaining something. Let go what holds you down and grab what lifts you up. Uh, back in the days when my kids were in junior high, I was one of the coaches for the volleyball team. And after some drills, when the, when the, when the balls that were the, in baskets, in big baskets, but we had them all, uh, we ran out of balls. We always would tell the boys, get the balls. And we would count to 10 seconds. So all the guys in the team would run all over the gym to get the balls and put them back in the baskets. So we'd be counting down. 10, 9, 8. So they knew that if they didn't do it by that time, there would be some kind of physical experience to follow. So what happened was that the kids were little. Some of them were in 6th grade. Some of them were in 5th grade. So in their passion to, to get all the balls back and, and, and the... And the um, hurry of the, of the moment, they would try to hold as many balls as possible. But see, how many volleyballs can you hold when you're in sixth grade? So see, all these kids would try to grab the balls and, and hold them. But as they would pick them up from the floor, a ball would squirt out of them. And, and then all the other balls would fall. So they had to learn something. That instead of trying to grab as many balls as possible, they would have to grab one and pass it to someone else who was closer to the basket. And then that person who was closer to the basket would put it in the basket. See, forgiveness kind of works like that. When you hold on to unforgiveness, when you hold on to all those feelings, to all the resentment, you let go of what really matters. Because you cannot have both. But when you let go of the resentment, when forgiveness comes into your heart, then you hold on to the things that really matter. And that is your relationship with God. So instead of holding on to all those things that you have to let go anyway, now you're holding on to the hand of God. I like to think that when we don't, we limit our capacity to grow. We limit our capacity to grow. See, the bitter man, the resentment, the disappointment, the unpaid debts, he owes me. All that is weight that we carry. And soon we will have no capacity to move, no capacity to grow or to grab onto something else. Working hard to hold what, they, what we can't. It just makes us lose what we won't be able to get back. All the time that you waste with resentment, all the time that you spend, all the energy that you use thinking and all those nights tossing in your bed, thinking of even revenge. Those nights will never come back. The thing with unforgiveness is that oftentimes this attitude is covered by a false sense of holiness. I'm hurt. I, I pray that they repent. 
I'm praying for them so that they see their wrong ways. I found this, this, this quote that I think is it, just great. Anne Lamont says, Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping that the other person dies. Because when I read it, I was like, yeah, that's it. I, maybe I just show that and sit down. See, forgiveness is not about forgiving a debt that somebody owes you. It is about releasing one thing in order to grab something different. It's about being trapped. I'm sorry, trampled as a doormat. It's not about that. It's not about people, okay, people hurt me. I'm here, I'll forgive everybody. No, it's not about that. It's about cleaning your soul. Cleaning your soul so it could be filled, filled with the presence of God. I like to think of it of uh, the moment when you try to take that picture or that video with your phone and your phone tells you, full memory. And then when you're trying to clean space, you see all these pictures that are blurry and out of focus and dark that are worthless. But you still have them there using space. It's kind of like that. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 14. For you, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is an issue, family, of cause and effect. You see, in heaven, there's only going to be one kind of people. And the first thing that comes to your head is forgiving people, right? But no. No. Even bad people are forgiven. Even unredeemed will be forgiven. In heaven, the only kind of people that will be, will be forgiven people. Are you awake now? Let me give you the next key. The next key is, choosing forgiveness will not change your past. But it can change your future. Choosing forgiveness will not change your past, but it can change your future. You see what is done? It's done. There's no time machine. There's no, what was the name of the car? DeLorean. To go back in time and go back to the future and, or, or to the past and say, hey, let's not do this. Because what's done, it's done. And there's nothing we can do about it. But that does not mean that our future has to stay that way. You have the ability, you possess the power to dictate the direction of your future. Is it going to be bitter? Is it going to be full of resentment? Is it going to be harvesting bad feelings towards other people? Or is it going to be clean and open to the presence of God? Christianity was not meant, and listen to this, because this, when I was thinking about this, it just opened my mind in a different way. Christianity was not meant to be an informational experience. Because we have the right text, we, we know the right doctrine, we, we have the, the right answer for the questions. But see, Christianity was not meant to be an informational experience. It was meant to be a transformational experience. 
Because see, the reason why Jesus came was to change us. Not to give us theories, but to change our lives. In Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all vigilance. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the spring of life. In, in the Old Testament, and in the New Testament too, but in the Old Testament more, the heart is the place where all the thoughts, all the emotions, all the ideas, the innermost part of your soul, of your being, is in the heart. That's what the Old Testament, that's what the Semitic mentality is about. When they talk about the heart, is the most sacred things are in there. So, so Solomon says, keep your heart. Keep your heart. But see, because when the heart becomes the center of all your life, because it becomes the center of your emotions, your heart will take the shape either or forgiveness or unforgiveness. And, and let's say that the heart, you know, I, I'm not a, in the medical field, but I've seen a couple of movies. The heart in its natural state is pink. The tissue around it, the blood that runs through it. When, when the heart is pumping blood, it turns into this pink color. And that is the color that when a heart is transplanted into it, from one body to another, they wait for that color to come. Am I right? Those of you who transplant hearts? So, so that happens. They're waiting for the heart to take the color uh, because that means that it's alive. The blood has, has run through the heart that is pumping, that is healthy again. And see, what God came to do through Jesus on Christmas is to begin a transplant of heart. To change our heart from a human, unforgiving, resentful, bitter, sad, angry heart. And to change it and to change it into a heart like the heart of God. So Jesus changed our heart by forgiving us and by teaching us to forgive. You see, one time I came back home from a, from a trip. I had been away for a, for a few days. And when I came back, I went to my backyard. And in our backyard was this piece of art. I don't know if you can see, but there's some handprints that were made with paint. So when I saw those handprints on our wall, I was like, what? We had just moved into the house. What's wrong with you people? For a second, I got angry at the kids. I don't know which of the kids did it. I have an idea. But I'm still not sure who did it. And I was angry at them. I was angry at my wife because she let them play with paint and put their handprints on the wall. Our brand new wall. But you know, those prints are still there today. In fact, Gianni took this picture today. And the reason why those handprints are still there. It's because I decided that we were not going to paint him over. That those hands will remain there. They will remain there because there was a time when somebody chose to put his handprints on us. 
And even when we get to heaven, He will show us His hands and the marks of our sin will be still on His hands. As a reminder that, un that, that unforgiveness will not take us anywhere, but it's all about forgiveness. And as those hands remain printed on our wall and remain printed on the cross, we have the assurance that we have a God that regardless of our past, He can change our future. Because in that holy night, Jesus chose to show us what forgiveness is all about.